Remember this portion of the story of God as it's written in the book that we love from Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 38. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going to, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be and who was going to do this thing. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you, but the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, I, with you I am ready to go to both prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? They said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. The word of the Lord. You would open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Something I say from the Word of God captures your attention. That's where we're going to be. You can read it 
So I was reading this scripture, reading this whole piece together, and so often I have heard these sections of scripture broken off and preached. Uh, a preachable unit of scripture amongst preachers is called a pericope. I don't know why, just, you know, spend all that money on an education, you want to show it. Uh, but uh, it, those little pieces of sermon, it's just the Lord's Supper is taught, and then who's the greatest in the kingdom is taught, uh, and then these trials and uh, betrayal, these are so often, in my experience, been taught or preached separately. But now I was reading them all together in one piece, and I was struck by the fact that there was, this is, there, there is this tremendous fellowship that is happening here, that Jesus is together with his closest friends and confidants. And there is, there is a, there's a brotherhood that is being expressed and, and that is being celebrated. As I read, uh, particularly verses 24 to 27, in which Jesus calls his followers to always be servant-hearted. And then again in verses 28 to 30, in which Jesus promised thrones and a place at his table in the kingdom of God to his disciples because they had always stuck with him through his trials. I thought about the camaraderie of servant-hearted kings that the believers in Jesus had become. The phrase, they're servant-hearted, greatness, uh, shared of spilled blood, uh, a brotherhood of kings and kingdoms, and all of these thoughts running through my mind. And the phrase band of brothers came to mind. Some of you have seen the movie and you've watched it and enjoyed uh, uh, the, uh, well, the spectacle of it, certainly, but the the way those men came together in fellowship under duress and, and how those relationships grew in a way that they wouldn't have if they hadn't had the crisis to share to each other. And of course, when I thought of Band of Brothers, that made me think of the famous speech that Shakespeare wrote for the character King Henry V, expressing his love and admiration for those who would fight beside him in the terrible battle to come uh, on Crispin's Day. Uh, because, and I, and I thought about, well, that's interesting because that speech talks about servants and greatness and glory and about blood and about brotherhood and about kings and kingdoms. So I'm going to read a portion of it to you. You get a little Shakespeare this morning, free, totally free. I wish I could memorize it, but I can't. He that shall live this day and, and this is King Henry talking to his men. Uh, and and I, let me, I'll, I'll read that in a minute. Let me give you a little background. First of all, he refers to Crispin's Day. And I went, well, who's Crispin? I could just think of a, a breakfast cereal is all I could think of. So Wikipedia, isn't it great? Go to the Internet. And for pastors, Wikipedia is wonderful for sermon illustrations that are actually true as we can make them. It turns out that Crispin and... Crispinian were twin brothers born into a noble Roman family in the 3rd century AD. They became Christians while Diocletian was emperor of Rome. And those who know your Roman history at all know that Diocletian 
was a terrible persecutor and a violent persecutor of the church. These men were persecuted for their faith, so they fled Rome for the wilds of northern Gaul, which is now Belgium. So they went a long way to get away. All right, that's way up in the wilderness where they evangelized the pagan Gauls during the day and then supported themselves at night as cobblers, repairing shoes and making shoes. They were eventually martyred for their faith in about 286 and were later named the patron saints of cobblers, tanners, and leather workers by the early Roman church and celebrated at the Feast of St. Crispin on October 25th, which was just 10 days ago. More than a thousand years after Crispin and Crispinian, on their feast day, England's Henry V fought and bested a vastly superior French army at the Battle of Agincourt. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right because it's French and who knows how to pronounce it. Shakespeare immortalized that event with an inspiring speech from the play Henry V that we now as the, know as the St. Crispin's Day speech or the Band of Brothers speech. In it, Henry speaks to his men about the brotherhood that will be created between them by the sacrifice and the glory that they will share in the coming battle, inspiring them to hope and to courage as they face impossible odds with their king. And I thought, I thought about the comparisons and the contrast between the king and the kingdom and the service of, of the commoner in service to Henry as the disciple in service to Jesus Christ. Now let me just read that portion. Again, this isn't Henry's words. It's Shakespeare's uh, uh, thought about his inspiration about what Henry might have said to get his men excited. But he that shall live this day and see old age, will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day then shall our names, familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups, freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin and Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day <coughs> to the ending of the world, but we shall be remembered in it. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. Jeez. For he today, Henry was good. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. The gentleman in England now abed shall think themselves accursed that they were not here and hold their manhoods cheap while, while any speaks that fought with us 
upon St. Crispin's Day. Oh, I'm such a sap. It's a great speech, though. And I don't know if any of you heard, uh, what's it, Branna, the, the actor who did it most recently in Henry V. You can go to YouTube and see it in all its glory. Today's scripture is the real, it's the non-fictional account of the real band of brothers and the speech that went on between their king and amongst each other even. The chief differences are many, but they are that, first of all, to know, we know that that band of brothers is also a band of brothers and sisters. And the victory it won didn't last for just 14 years before it ended in defeat like it did for the English at the Siege of Orleans when Joan of Arc, another historical feature, threw the English out. The tides of human politics and kingdoms and kings, it come and they go, and it goes, and it happens so quickly. The other huge difference was that the battle it anticipated, the Battle of Agincourt versus the Battle of Calvary, the battle that this band of brothers in celebrating with Jesus in the upper room anticipated could only be fought hand to hand by our king and not his brothers or his sisters. Let's read verses 28 to 29. You are those who have stood by me, and this is Jesus speaking, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In anticipation of that great day, when they were brought together and they would feast at the table of the kingdom of God on thrones and sit on thrones and judge the nations and the sons of Israel, In anticipation of that great day, Jesus celebrates one last Passover with his friends. Now, we know enough about Passover at this point in time that it evolved so that there were were four ceremonial cups. And most of the evangelists, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who talk about the Passover at all, this Last Supper, only refer to one of the cups. Luke refers to two. The first cup that Jesus blesses is in verse 17. And it is, whatever it might have meant in the Passover, it is celebrated as a cup of fellowship. Jesus pours it, he blesses it, and he passes it for all to share with him. Drink ye all of this. Now, like the small English army on Crispin's Day, ours is a fellowship that seems small compared to the foe we face. It is also a friendship that is formed and perseveres through both good times and hard times. This final crisis will create a parting between Jesus and his disciples that will not be restored until the kingdom of God has come and been fulfilled. In a heartfelt pledge, Jesus promises that death will not have the final word, and that he fully expects that they will meet again and drink the cup of fellowship together. Indeed, Jesus pledges that he will not drink such a cup again until that day. But unlike Henry's band of brothers, 
whose commoners would ascend in glory to share the dignity of gentlemen, and that's what that line in the poem says, this day shall gentle his condition. So I mean, even the vilest peasant shall be a, become in, in dignity and in status uh, with Henry uh, uh, a gentleman. Okay? Even though the commoners will ascend to glory to share the dignity of gentlemen, Jesus calls his band of believers to descend with their master to be servants of God's goodness to all. Though Luke doesn't recount it, we know from other gospel accounts that Jesus has taken off all of his garments except for his undergarments. And he was dripping wet from washing the feet of his disciples when he said, the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. And it helps to see him half naked, dripping from all the water that's been spilled and sloshed about, saying this to his people. Authority in the kingdom of heaven is established and expressed in servant-heartedness. Servanthood in the band of believers is not a phase of apprenticeship that we can hope or desire to, that we can put up with, but one day graduate out of into privilege and royalty. Though we will one day sit on thrones as kings and queens under the high King Jesus, our authority will always rely on our passion for seeing God's goodness reach every creature and every corner of creation, not in our authority to accumulate and to hoard goodness for ourselves. Our authority will always spring from our desire to serve our creator and the least of his creatures. Unlike the army of England, who fought and died to preserve King Henry's throne and were glad to do it, our band of believers cannot establish Christ's kingdom with our bodies or our blood. All of our bodies and every drop of our blood put together could not save one soul or lay one stone in the wall of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus must do all of that Himself, Unlike the veterans of Henry's band of brothers, only our king can boast of scars made in his body in the struggle that saved us from the oppression of death and evil and establish his kingdom for all of eternity. While God may call us to be wounded in sympathetic fellowship with his sufferings, our suffering would have no purpose. It would have no meaning or effect unless his hands, his feet, and his side were wounded first. Once Henry's battle was done, he went home and his army was disbanded. And that victory, as I said, lasted only 14 years. 
Our king's victory began our greatest task, to go into every corner of the world and tell them of his great victory, inviting all of them to repent and to join themselves to him just as we have joined ourselves. He warns our band of believers that we must expect to face want and need and danger in our mission. At one time, he sent the disciples out without cash, without uh, any, any provisions, without even an extra pair of sandals, which were changed almost as often as socks in those days. I mean, they, they were just flimsy thing that would, would wear out, and he didn't send them out with anything, expecting and relying on the provision of the grace of God in the community uh, that was anxious to hear what the Messiah wanted to say to feed and clothe them and meet their needs. But now, we as the disciples at this Last Supper are warned. We are called to be partners in sustainable ministry, to prepare finances, and to prepare our possessions, uh, get the possessions necessary to make, to take reasonable care of ourselves. Our ministry will not be limited to our resources alone, to what we can provide for ourselves. Hardly. If we are journeying in God's will and seeking to glorify him, then we we have access to the riches of his kingdom. But he would have us employ our minds in planning and looking strategically as well as our hearts and speaking the word of his gospel in his service. He even warns us to make reasonable provision for our protection as we move forward. Now it's interesting to note here, this is rarely a preached section, but first of all, what two swords can do. Two swords, we know that there was a community of Christians and believers from all of those who appeared in the upper room and after the death of Jesus, there were some 120 people. So we know that the community of faith at that time was at least somewhere around 120. Two swords were enough to provide the necessary protection for a small group of people. What two swords weren't enough for was insurrection, rebellion. Safety in the, in the enterprise of the gospel, safety is not the only concern. It is not even the most important concern. What's more, our king does not always guarantee that we will be kept safe. But it is something for which we should make provision unless he directs otherwise. And that's what he's saying here. That very night, Peter would find out that the sword is never a tool, because he took one of those swords, The sword is never a tool that we may use to establish the gospel or to fight for God's kingdom. Nothing, nothing good has come from the church's use of death and the fear of death to establish or protect the kingdom of light and life and its king. There's a great mystery at work in us, that we often strenuously resist 
Because the ways of the kingdom of God, the very economy of the kingdom of God, makes so little sense in a society ruled by death and selfishness. We have to be We have to protect ourselves, and that won't be necessary in the kingdom of heaven. We have to be concerned not to tempt another. I I remember, uh, just made me remember a a public service announcement from the police department when I was a kid to everybody in the winter. Please don't leave your cards running when you go into the post office uh, to get the mail. Uh, You don't want to be a temptation to some young person to get in a started car and drive off. I mean... I guess it was a thing that actually happened. But it's a concern that we we don't want to be naive, both for our sake, our family's sake, for the sake of the gospel, nor for others. We don't want to tempt others to take advantage. So we resist, and everything about the kingdom of heaven makes so little sense in a kingdom that is ruled and founded on death and the fear of death. Yet we're called... We're called even here and even now to be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of this great word, and we're to live as if the greater rules of the kingdom of heaven are powerful enough to make a difference even here. We few, we happy few, we band of believers struggle to shake off the mentality of slaves and to embrace the kingdom of heaven, whose ways are so absolutely contrary to what makes sense in this world. And yet the Apostle Paul recommends that we follow the lead of our king, who emptied himself to become a servant, a servant of his own creation, in order that we might be saved from death. I'll close with this. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2 as it's translated in the message. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourselves aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above and beyond anyone or anything ever 
so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. You are a better king than Henry and that your kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And though Henry called his men to sacrifice his life to save his throne, you sacrificed your life to establish your throne for our good. Pray, Lord God, that we would be willing then to follow each of us, to follow you obediently in whatever direction your will has for each of us, seeking courage, seeking to be gracious as well as truthful, uh, seeking always, Lord God, your face in all of it. For I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Today we're